service, let's say, and you listen to a 50-minute sermon, right? You listen to Pastor Sam preach uh, through the book of Genesis, and maybe he says things like, Egypt is a picture of the world. Okay, so a few Christian, uh, a few like Christian answers, a few Christian uh, church kids know the answer. Some of you didn't know that. But what does that even mean? Egypt's a picture of the world? What the heck is that? And I would imagine that if you weren't churched up to this point, like I wasn't, I got saved when I was in high school. And so if you would have told me Egypt is a picture of the world, I might not have known what that meant. What I want to do through this series that we're going to go through is kind of contextualize things. What's that mean? Like uh, connect some dots for you so that when you go to main service and they say big Christianese things, you kind of know what they mean. Okay? Like what is the church? What is the world? But also, I, I hope that through this series we can get into some specific issues that that you guys, that people your age are working through, are thinking through, considering. So, today, uh, we're going to talk about the world being broken. And specifically, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about, well, we're going to talk about sex. But uh, then... So then, in a, in a future week, we're going to talk about drugs. Drugs. There's a lot of drugs at your school. And there's a lot of drugs, maybe even in, in your family or in your life. That was the case for me. Lots of drugs in my family and in my life. We're going to talk about culture. Like, what the heck is that? But what's wrong with that? How is culture broken? We're going to then talk about, so that's the world. We're going to have three messages about how the world is broken. And then we're going to talk about how the church is broken. So what is the church? And is the church, you know, just all together? Well, certainly not. The church is broken, and we're going to talk about a few things that are causing the church to be broken and remain broken, like fear and ignorance, identity. And then we'll, we'll wrap up the series uh, with working through another thing that I think is kind of confusing. Le- living in a Laodicean age. Now what in the heck is that? Now, you Bible students, you're like, I know exactly what that is. But a lot of you, maybe you're like, I don't even know how to say that word, right? Which is very fair. If you would have told me at 15, 16 years old that I was living in the Laodicean age, I would have, probably, I probably wouldn't even have listened to you. It would have went in one ear and right out the other. You know why? Because what does it matter? What does it have to do with me? Who gives a crap? Who cares? Who cares about Laodicea? And what if I said, you need to be Philadelphian in the age of Laodicea? He'd be like, don't care at all. Right? That's fair. But I want to contextualize it so that you can access that and realize what that means. And realize how exciting that actually can be. And you can see it in the world around you. And not just go into main service and tune out through the messages. Not because I want you to not tune out, but because there's so much that you can get out of your time here at church. Right? There's so much you can get out of it. But how do you, how do you access that? That's the aim of this series. So today we are going to talk about sex. Not super explicitly, obviously, but uh, we are going to talk about the world's perspective of sexuality. 
And we're going to talk about the biblical perspective of sexuality. Okay? So, uh, I figured it would be wise to just start by explaining a phenomenon. Okay? I'm going to talk about a phenomenon called spring fever. Have you heard of spring fever? How many of you have heard of spring fever? Oh man, that's not enough. You need to know about spring fever. I'm going to pray for us because I really need help to work through this kind of weird stuff. And you need help listening and hearing it. Okay, so let's pray and then we'll talk about spring fever. Father, thank you for your word. God, would your word guide us through the issues of life? Would your word guide us through even like hard to talk about things like sexuality, like... um, like just the, the corruption, the sin, the grossness of what's going on in life, but also the, the beauty, the mature things in life. Like, how do we even think about them? What do we, do we talk about them? What do we say if we talk about them? There's so many taboo things in the church. Things that we just, you know, brush under the rug. And I, I believe that teenagers, maybe even teenagers in this room, are going through their life not knowing how to think about the stuff that they're, they're being exposed to and experiencing in their schools. And so, God, would you lead us and guide us in how we should think and believe? And, um, God, ultimately, would you be honored and would you be glorified? Would your word be honored? Would it be lifted up above our ideas? God, would we be wrong and you be right about well, everything, but specifically this morning, would you be right and, and would you lead us rightly uh, to, to think and, and approach uh, sexuality? And God, we ask for your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Spring fever. Okay, every spring, right as spring is about to, to show up, I tell all my classes at school about spring fever. And it's appropriate at school because this is what it looks like at school. You will see, you will see students come down with spring fever. And they don't break out in hives necessarily. Um, but you will notice some symptoms. You'll notice some symptoms. Last week at Grandview, which is actually not super uncommon from your guys' schools, uh, there was like two fights in one day. Two fights. Boom. And then right after, boom, another one. And one of them was pretty serious. Ended up with a, a dude, kind of a big, strong dude, being arrested on the floor in the cafeteria. Pretty significant. And then the other one was just kind of petty and not a huge deal. But this will uptick. There's going to be more fights in your schools, right? There's going to be more uh, drama. Maybe there's not actual physical fights, but there's going to be drama. He said, she said, can you believe this and that? Oh my goodness. And then like the drama, there's like this pot of drama and everybody has like a spoon and they're like, oh, I want to stir it up. And then everybody's stirring it up and they're stirring up. And then you know what they do? They're stirring it up and they're like, drama. Ooh. And then they double dip, right? It's nasty, bro. Drama is, but it's going to uptick and it's getting, the pot is going to get stirred. I remember the first time, I remember the first time that I dated a girl that was my best friend's girlfriend like maybe a week before. So they broke up. They were dating for like 
maybe like it was it was a young relationship. They were probably eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever. And then they broke up. And when I was a sophomore, I immediately started dating her. I was like, Sarah, like I know you're with you know Cameron. Will you be my girlfriend now? And she was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I remember I was on spring break. I was in Memphis. I remember it very vividly because it was so shocking. You know, I had this girlfriend and I was excited. And, and then I hadn't talked with my best. He was literally my best friend. I hadn't talked to him at all about it. Nothing. And then finally, I'm texting back and forth with Cam. And it was like, hey, dude. So me and Sarah are like boyfriend and girlfriend. And he's like, What? Like, dude. And he was super forgiving. He was like, okay, whatever. But that was awkward and had great potential to be just stupid, right? And it was stupid. And I got saved shortly after that, thankfully, because I was ramping up my drama. I was ramping up my stupid. And that's what you do in spring. And that was over spring break uh, in 2007, pretty sure. And then uh, in June of 2007 is when I got saved. So you... Maybe you'll see some of that. Hopefully you don't participate in it like that. Maybe you're not a moron like I was. But you will see it. There's an uptick in drama. But there's also an uptick in relationships. You're going to see people break up. They were dating over the winter and then they break up because it's springtime. It's, it's a time of newness to recharge, to re, uh, reconnect with someone new, right? And part of that is it's just a new season. But another part of it is people's clothes are changing. People's clothes are just practically, they're changing. Now, right now, you'll go to school and you'll be winter-coated like most people are in here. You'll see a lot of hoodies, you'll see the sweatpants, you see jeans. But here in the next few months, you know what you're going to see? Grandview doesn't have a, a dress code anymore. We said, nah, we don't need a dress code. Let it all hang out. You just can't show, like, graphic things. But they say, yeah, whatever. So what you're going to see in the next couple months is you're going to see bellies and you're going to see legs and you're going to see booty cheeks and you're going to see boobs and cleavage you're going to see it it's going to be sitting right next to you it's probably going to be sitting right in front of you now maybe you're not at school well guess what Everybody is wearing this. This is not just a teenager thing. You're going to go down to the plaza. You're going to walk around the plaza. You're going to go to the mall if anybody does that anymore. You're going to go to a restaurant. You're going to go to the movie theater. You're going to go to wherever you might be going, the grocery store, and you are going to see it. It's going to be on full display because the weather is warmer and because people got spring fever. They got to show it off. What do you do with that? Guy or girl, what do you do with that? Well, you can either catch spring fever or not, right? But seriously, I want to talk about why is it that way? Why do you see a bunch of girls wearing what they wear? I mean, maybe maybe I just don't understand, like I don't see it the right way, but guys, do, do what guys wear, does that impact girls the same way as what girls wear impacts guys? Does it impact you? Like if you see a guy with a muscle t-shirt, is that just like a game changer for you? Is that all your mind can think about? Probably not. Because you're wired differently. Right? But if a guy sees a girl wearing this or that, it's over. There's nothing else that they can think of. 
it's over. It's like their brain is just like, it's like an engine, you know, it's running, it's purring. And then they see that girl wearing that thing, and it's like, we're stuck, and it's like, oh, what do I do here? It's how we're wired. So, what do you do with that? What do you do with it? How do we navigate that? Well, let's talk about why it is that way. Why do guys... Why do guys pursue in that way? Why are eyes always wondering? And why do girls wear things like that? We'll just make it real plain. And I know there's exceptions, but why do girls wear like that? Are all these girls who wear clothes that reveal things just... Are they all just hoes? No, they're not. They're not. If a girl wears those clothes, that doesn't mean she's a hoe. And you're wrong for assessing her that way. And if a guy, don't interrupt me please, and if a guy is, is, catches himself wandering and his eye wanders to that certain thing, is he a pervert? Is he just a perv because he checked that girl out? No. He's not. Okay. Why is it this way? Why are people the way they are? Well, number one, it's our design. So that's in your handout there, our design. Let's talk about how you're designed, how you're wired. Okay, you are built for intimacy. You're built for intimacy with the opposite sex. Like the way you're framed and wired is so that you would be intimate, you would be close, you would be, you would be pursuing or be pursued with the objective being intimacy with that person. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, all of that. You're built for intimacy. Consider Genesis 1.28. What does God tell man and woman to do? He says, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He literally said, go have babies. Now, I'm probably not qualified to tell you how babies are made. But... It's all kind of part of this, what I'm talking about. Okay, I'll, I'll spare the details, but he says, go be fruitful and multiply. He says, hey, you know what? You can catch spring fever with her. And she can catch spring fever with him. You know, you, you guys, go get crazy with each other. Go be crazy about each other. Go be, you know what? Go be feverish about one another. Go be impassioned. Go be excited. Right? About your spouse. That's how you're designed. That's how you're wired. There's a righteous passion that's innate for your relationship with your future spouse. Consider this. Song of Solomon 8 verses 6 through 7. It's a dangerous book to read through, but I feel like I should reference it here. So in verse 6 it says, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For check this out. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. In Proverbs 6, verse 34 and 35, For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom, neither will he rest content, though thou givest many gifts. In other words... How I feel about Kylie. I'm not talking about 
physic like I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about how I feel about her. You understand? How I feel about her is if someone were to approach her, that would inspire in me a rage. Like I remember uh, when we were dating, it was just after high school, and a guy named Devin, I'll spare his last name. Devin got saved in high school. He was kind of tagging along with Kylie and at church, and he was like her friend. And he was this jock. He was cool, and he was a babe. I mean, he was beautiful. Okay, he was. He was. He. Well, I don't know. What would you call like that guy? What would you call him? He's what? He is him, right? Okay. And and I I had no problem in high school because we weren't together. You know. I was distracted elsewhere. But he was falling around, he gets saved, and then after high school, you know, Kylie and I, we begin to, I start coming here and we meet, and then I'm like, oh, I like her. And so then we're dating, and this dude calls her up, and you know what he says? Do you remember what he says? Remember what he wanted? He wanted guitar lessons from Kylie. Oh, yeah? Oh, you want guitar lessons from Kylie? I literally texted or called this dude and I said hey no she's not going to give you guitar lessons if you want guitar lessons I'm better at guitar I'll do it stand down bro stand down with no hesitation I would end his life bro and I'm being kind of cute but I'm actually being very serious like there's no hesitation she is mine Mine. And no one else feels that way about her but me. There was another creeper that was stalking her on Facebook right after we got married. His name was Spencer. And this dude was like after her on Facebook, messaging. Let's hang out. Let's be like, let's just be friends. Let's just be friends. I said, bro, no. If you don't leave her alone, I will make you leave her alone. You're out. You're done. Now, what would make me feel that way about a person? Well, she's my wife. We've, we have been emotionally intimate. We have been physically intimate. We have been intellectually intimate. She's mine. I'm hers. And that's the way you are designed towards someone else. You will be and feel that way. Right? And that's good. That's strong. You can't get in between this. You can't. There's no way in. And that's how God built it. But, let's talk about you guys, because maybe you don't have a spouse. But you're like, I feel that way, but I don't have a wife. Oh, you know, you got this rage inside of you. and Spring is coming, and you're like, ah. Oh. Okay, well, here's, here's the other thing. You've got our design. <laughs> to be fair, she did give me forewarning. So you've got your design. We've got our design. God made you to be that way and to feel that way about your spouse, but, but if you're not married, okay, you, you know, or you are married, we all have this other thing that is our flesh. Now, what the heck is that? Our flesh. Let's talk about it. Your fleshly nature, this other side of you, the Bible describes it as your old man. It tells you to do. It tells you to think about. It tells you to get what feels right at the wrong time. 
It tells you to get something that is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. I'm not talking about anything other than it as a concept. Okay, what we've done in society, what the world has done is we've said sex is gross, sex is bad, sex is negative. No, 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 no. God never said that. He said fornication is bad, which is sex outside of marriage. Sex in a marriage, my God, my Bible tells me that's undefiled. That's not defiled. It's honorable. It's good. Okay. This good thing. Your flesh says, get this good thing. Think about this good thing. Do this good thing at the wrong time. In the wrong context. And that is wrong. Romans chapter 7 verses 18 to 24 tell us though, that that wrestles in all of us. It says, Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do what's right. I want to do it in the right time. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Like, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know how to do it. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. It's like, I know that I'm supposed to not look at this. I'm not supposed to think about this. But I don't know how to not think about this. And then I know I'm not, like, I know I'm I'm supposed to not think about that, but I just find myself thinking about that. And, ah, this frustration, this rage. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, check this out, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. In other words, there's two things going on, doing what's right and doing what's wrong, always present. Always battling for my will. Always battling for my decisions. Always battling for my mind. There's doing what's right and doing what's wrong. And doing what's wrong, there's this nature, there's this law pulling me. And then here's what he says. And maybe you can say this. And maybe you need to say this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I can't help but desire these things that I shouldn't have. I can't help it. Ah! And you ought to get frustrated with it. Because if you're not frustrated with it, then that means you're just doing what your flesh is telling you to. But if you realize I shouldn't do it, now you've got yourself in a juxtaposition. Now you've got yourself in between two things. I know I'm supposed to do this, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, and I'm struggling with it. Good. Good. That's where you start. Right? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this flesh? When is it going to stop? When is it going to stop? We're going to get there. But let's talk about another reason why. So you've got your design. You're built for intimacy. You've got your flesh. Your flesh will always try to draw you to do uh, good things at the wrong time. And then you've got our influences. Your classmates right now uh, in these seasons of life, they are having sex. And it's popular, right? I remember when I was in eighth grade, and I remember the first time I heard about my peers having sex. It was eighth grade. It was, I can't remember his name, but he was, you know, the star football player. I don't know, like, it sounds like a, like a show you'd watch on Netflix. Like the star running back, you know, he's the fastest kid in the grade, and he's the big strong guy. And, and I remember him talking about having sex. And I was like, dude, what? You're a baby like me. What do you mean? Like, you're having sex? And he probably didn't, right? He's probably just talking about it. 
But as I went through eighth grade, and I got a girlfriend in eighth grade, and as I go into high school, I remember, I, I know of people who were actually beginning to have sex. I know of things that were happening amongst my peers that I literally can't even say from the pulpit. Things that are just wild. Things that if my kids were exposed to in high school, I'd go hunt some people down. Like just absurdity. Right? I remember in my sophomore, it was my freshman or sophomore year of high school, the girlfriend that I had, we were boyfriend and girlfriend for a couple years. Big mistake. Don't get in a relationship until you're ready, ready to be married. It was a big mistake. I'm happy to admit it. I remember her telling me, she said, Jeff, I think I'm ready. And I was about to leave for Boy Scout camp, which is a 10-day camp where I'm going to go off and hang with the boys for 10 days out in the woods, you know. And right before, she's like, Jeff, I think I'm ready. And I'm like, ready for what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And she's like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to have sex. And I was like, I, I mean, it, dude, it shook me so bad. I was legitimately scared. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you want to have sex? It spooked me. It spooked me good. <laughs> and thank the Lord... I, how do I put this? Thank the Lord, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I wasn't saved yet. I was just a little kid. And it was just messed up. And it was just what my peers were doing. And so she, she wanted to go through that rite of passage. She had that rite of passage to be a woman or whatever amongst her friends. All her friends were doing it. And she was ready, and I was not, and it didn't work out, and we ended up breaking up, and then I get saved, and and then still, all my friends and my peers, like, this isn't the place to tell these stories, but you know this crap is happening. You know it. And if you don't know it, you should know it, that it's happening, and it's not for us. But you also see it in media, Right? So, the shows we watch, the movies we watch, the books you read, right? The books you read, it's in there. It's all over in there. I remember the first time I had a book, I had no idea that this kind of stuff was in books. But I, I, I don't even know where I found this book. But I'm reading the book. And, like, I knew it wasn't, like, one of your, like, stereotypical romance novels because I didn't see the picture on the front. There was no picture on the front. And I'm reading this thing. And... I was more engaged with that book than I had been with any book ever before. I'm like, this is amazing. What is this? Like, there were no images, no pictures. It was just all words. And I'm just like, I'm flying through this. I'm like, maybe I do like reading, you know? Like, wow. And I'm reading this book. And then I realize, I'm like, oh my goodness. This is like literature porn. I didn't even know that was a thing until I started reading one. Okay, but there's also soft core literature porn. There's also books where they just allude and they just they disguise it and they mask it as this or that. It's in your books. And don't you deny that. Especially you nerds who like to read. And I can call you that because I'm an English teacher. You, you know that the content of your books can be risque. And why is that? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 tell us this. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's what the world is. You ready? When we say Egypt is a picture of the... This is what we mean. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is a system that caters to, facilitates, encourages, builds up your lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and your pride. That's what the world is. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world is providing you opportunity to stimulate the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh. Right? So here's your key point. What you need to know regarding sexuality is that the world, your flesh, and the devil does and will always have a broken explanation of sexuality and intimacy in relationships. It's kind of wordy lot there. Write it all down and take it all in. The world, your flesh, and the devil does and will always have a broken explanation of sexuality and intimacy in relationships. You will not find what true intimacy is and should be in your marriage, in your life, at, at, at God's time. You won't ever find it in the world. What you see in movies and TV shows and pornography, what you see in the world is not real Biblical intimacy. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you are uh, one who has looked at or currently does look at pornography, you, not only are you just clouding up your heart and mind and just tormenting yourself, you're miserable, you're so ashamed of it. You're so ashamed. You feel disgusting right now as I'm talking about it. You're getting nervous thinking, I hope nobody looks at me. We don't know. But you feel bad about it. But, but furthermore, think about the future for a second. When you get into a marriage relationship, when you get into the marriage bed, what do you expect? You expect what you've seen. And what you've seen is fake. Not real. So not only will you find yourself confused, disappointed, but guess what? You are hurting your spouse. You're hurting them. Stop looking at porn. You're hurting your future spouse. What's she supposed to think when she doesn't please you? What's she supposed to think? Oh, you know, it's, it, you know it'll, it'll, it'll happen. We'll get it figured out. Bro, the world will always contort, distort, break the explanation of what real intimacy is and should be. Here's your next key point. Let your intimacy be directed by God and His ways and His timing. God is... So much better at setting up your life and your relationships, your intimacy. He's so much better at it than you and I will ever be. He's so much better at it. I came into my marriage with Kylie a little confused, a little, I got some, I got some baggage that I'm bringing in. And I'm so thankful that when we get into the marriage, uh, by that point, I'm just surrendered. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. So then we go through premarital counseling with Sam and Cheryl. And Sam is challenging me with how I'm thinking, with what I'm doing. And, and we're just like learning and we're trying to figure it out. And we just want to do it God's way. So then when we get into our marriage, when we're actually married, we're set up. It's framed and ready for us to just walk through life with intimacy. And there's things to work through. But we at least know, okay, we just want to do it God's way. 
Whatever that means, whatever it looks like. As he leads and guides, that's just how we're going to do it. That is a, a, a direction. That is a blessing. That is wisdom. Do it God's way, in his timing. Don't make something happen. So, let's, uh, let's with a little bit of time we have, we're going to talk about... Um, that was the world. Let's talk about who you're supposed to be. And we're going to kind of fly through some verses here. But pull up uh, Philippians chapter 2 really quick. Philippians chapter 2. In verses 14 through 16, I'm going to read them to you here. Paul says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Murmurings and disputings. Check this out. Here's why. That you may be blameless and harmless. Here's who you are. The sons of God, without rebuke, you ready for this? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye, church, shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He says, hey, you're supposed to to walk through life as sons of God, as children of God, in the midst of the world which is crooked and perverse. And you're supposed to look different. So what does that look like? How do you do that? How do you look different? How do you look like the church? Who are you supposed to be? How are you supposed to identify yourself among your peers who are doing these things? Well, here's number one. You're supposed to be a servant. That comes to you, brought to you by Mitch Medlin. We were talking through this. And what you need to know about who you are is you are a servant. So let's break that down a little bit. God owns you if you're saved. God owns you. And not only does He own you, but He offers you a life of purpose, occupation. He offers you a life of blessing. But that only comes if you know you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But He offers you a life of purpose and and that purpose is to be a servant. So check this out. You, you once were servants to sin. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. sin. If you've committed sin, you were, you are, let's say, a servant of sin. Romans six seventeen. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Let's talk about that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, that you believed with your heart. It is that Christ became a servant for our sake. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8 says, But made himself, Jesus made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was a servant to you by taking on the cross and dying. He was a servant for our sake. And then, when we believe that doctrine, that Jesus Christ provides a way to be saved, to be a son or daughter of God, then we become servants uh, to something different. Romans chapter 6, verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you're no longer a servant to sin, you're free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now you serve something different. Romans six twenty-two. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God... 
you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting. So you were a servant to sin. Christ became a servant for your sake to save you from your sin. And now you're delivered from that sin and you've become a servant to God. Does that make sense? That's who you are. And then what happens out of that is we get to be servants to one another in the lost. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now your perspective, when you go to school, listen, you've got friends who are doing all this stuff, who are talking about all this stuff. Here's your role in their life. One, you need to be saved. But two, you need to serve them to win them to Christ. No, you don't just do whatever they do or talk however they talk or think however they think. That's not who you are. That's not what I said. I said you're a servant to them. You serve them. You love them. You cater to their spiritual needs. And if they invite you to a party where you know nothing good is, is going to happen, you don't go. Because that's not what a servant would do. When you get invited into that relationship that you know is bad, you don't accept. Because you're a servant of God and your purpose is to serve people. Service is your purpose. Service is your purpose. A cross-reference you might write down is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And that will kind of tell you how you can do that. Romans 12, 1 will tell you. But here's your key point. When you're serving God by serving others, the allure to serve sexual sin subsides. What the heck? Lots of S's there. When you're serving God by serving others, the allure to serve sexual sin subsides. Meaning, if you're serving and trying to win souls, if your purpose in your relationships with your peers is to serve them, to see them come to Christ, then the sexual sin and the allure to it in your life, it'll kind of, it'll dim. Because you've already got a purpose. You know where you're going. You know what you're doing. You know why you're going and why you're doing what you're doing. Does that make sense? It's still there. Temptation is still there. But it doesn't have a grip on you if you have a purpose. The second of three things that you are to be, your identity that will help us walk through this crooked and perverse nation, is you're forgiven and free. So maybe you have looked at pornography. Maybe you have had sex. Maybe your uh, understanding of sexuality up to this point has been distorted and broken. Maybe you failed. Maybe it's not sexual sin. Maybe it's any other sin. Whatever it is, you need to understand this about yourself. That you're forgiven and free in Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 25 through chapter 8, verse 2 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Right? I've got these two natures, these two natures. But here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation. That means you're judged guilty. You are no longer judged guilty to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? Free. Made me free from the law of sin and death. You're free from sin and death. Romans chapter 6, verse 6, if you want to flip there, it's not in your notes there. 
It says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You are dead in Christ. So sin no longer has power of you. You're free from it. In other words, you don't have to sin. Say, I'm addicted to pornography. You don't have to look at it. Say, how is that possible? Great question. Ask me after service. Let's get accountable. There is a way out. There's a way out. You say, it seems impossible. It seems like I'm in bondage to it. It seems like it's besetting me. Yeah, there's a way out. It starts with you being honest, acknowledging I can be free, and then humbling yourself before someone who can help you out. And we can help you out. Because we've been helped out. Right? Colossians 1, 13, 14 says, Speaking of Jesus, who hath delivered us, Jesus delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption. You have redemption through His blood. Even the what? What do you have in Jesus Christ? You have the forgiveness of our sins. You know how it feels to be forgiven? It feels really good. It's a feeling you need this morning. You need to be forgiven. You need to recognize you are forgiven. You're not condemned. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You can't move on until you realize you're forgiven. You can't move forward in victory until you realize you're forgiven. It's like someone who graduates high school and then you just stick around to keep taking classes. You're like, I know I graduated, but I'm just, I love Mr. Gracer's class. I just got to keep taking English 4 over and over again. You'd be so miserable. Oh my goodness, you seniors, you know it. You'd be like, I want out as soon as possible. How silly would it be for you to just stick around? You're free. Go. You graduated. You're good. You're taken care of. Here's your diploma. Please leave. Please. We don't want you anymore. And you're like, no, I just want to take, I want to take creative writing. <laughs> I just like, you know, I like, I like pottery. Right? That person's a weirdo. You don't want to be stuck. You can be free. You can move forward. Here's your key point. When you are thankful to God for His forgiveness and goodness, The temptation to seek sexual sin, it weakens, it subsides, right? If I don't think about what I can go get in in terms of sexuality in the world, if I don't think about that, but rather I think about how, how I'm forgiven and how good God is and has been to me, when that occupies my mind, when that is my thought, then that sexual sin loses its savor. It's like, well, I... God, you can hear somebody say God is better than sin, but until you believe it, it means nothing. You need to believe it. Maybe this morning you're like, I I don't believe it. Sin is awesome. You're right. Sin is really fun and exciting. It's really fun and exciting. But God really, truly is better. He is. Last thing that you and I have to understand about who we are and what we should be as we navigate through life in this crooked and perverse world is this. You're supposed to be pure. Purity is sexy. 
Security is sexy. Now, if you haven't been pure up to this point, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Your purity from now on matters. It matters. Whatever you've done before, you're free and forgiven. God forgot about it. Ain't no thing. Doesn't matter. Moving on. Your purity matters, and your purity is attractive. God desires you, though, for Himself. Purely for Himself. Your heart, your mind, and your body are for God. Did you hear that? Your body. This thing. is not for you, and it's not for anybody else. Until you're married. It's for Him. And Him alone. And He desires that that pure line, just mano y mano, would be the case. Not going anywhere else, not using it on any, anything else, anyone else. He wants you to be pure. And, and in fact, this is how you do that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay, we're going to build how we practically do this. He says, flee youthful lusts, run from the lust." Run away and pursue after these good things with them that call on the Lord with, out of a pure heart. First Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spe- uh, spirit and faith and purity. You guys, youth, are charged with being an example of purity. Contextualize yourself in the rest of the church. There's classes full of RSOs. You know what that means? Registered sex offenders. They're they're in our church. You sit amongst them. You sit amongst fornicators. You sit amongst adulterers. You sit amongst people who have not, and maybe even currently do not, value purity. They are around, and you are called to be an example of purity to them. And in fact, to do that together. Your key point is this. When you have a fellowship of friends in purity, the pursuit of sexual sin is curbed. If you have people in your life that you know want to have a pure heart before God, and you want to have a pure heart before God, you've got people with you. You're together. And you have your purpose. You know what you're going after. You're supposed to be an example to the rest of us. You're supposed to be an example. That's what God desires of you. Feel that weight. You gotta be pure when others haven't been. You gotta be pure when others aren't. And again, last thing I'll say is if you feel like I'm not pure, I haven't been pure, yes, you are in Christ. He looks at you. And you're forgiven, bro. Sis, you're forgiven. Move forward. Pursue the right things in the midst of just a garbage world. Make sense? That's my cue. Let's pray and get out of here. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for grace to navigate and work through a touchy, 